I think being more aware and conscious and thinking about like, how can I be less negative impact on the planet? And mm -hmm. so I like that. It feels good. And it, it's definitely the right way to think. So that's great. Welcome to This Sustainable Life, Solve for Nature, where we introduce you to guests who are working to save our natural world and then offer them a chance to take on a personal challenge to make their lives more joyful and fulfilling through exploring their values. Today, I'm here talking to Jill Wagner. Jill, how are you? I am fine, thank you, Eugene. How are you? I am doing pretty good. I am now in my new home, I think since the last time we talked I just moved in here a couple of weeks ago, so everything is just kind of hectic, trying to get furniture in here and fix all the little things that come with new home ownership. And it's, <laughs> it's, it's been a learning experience, a different kind of challenge than the usual sustainability ones that I'm doing. <laughs> well, congratulations. That's exciting. Thank you very much. Yeah, it's been a while since we talked. Since then, you've kind of had a lot of stuff going on. I, I saw online that you were at COP26. Yes, that's right. I was in Glasgow last November, and that was a very significant event for me. In and, what way? Well, part of being at COP was learning about the top issues for organizations and governments all over the world making nature-based solutions, goals, and commitments. And that, so that was part of the learning. But the other one was that we hosted an event there, and we rented a little castle by Lake Loch Lomond, and we hosted an event called The Art of Forests. And there were 30 people online and 30 people present, 60 people total. And we got to give talks about what we thought is important and learn from other forestry people who are doing you know, forest restoration all over the world. So it was really significant for me. Oh, wow. That's really cool. It, it's really cool to think that, that for somebody like you who has been doing reforesting for as long as you have and with all the experience that you have, there's still more to learn about the world of reforesting, even for you. Oh, well, of course. And the thing is, is that there, there are foresters all over the world in different regions that do forestry in different ways. So it's so fun to meet with them and to learn about how they do it. It's very, very interesting for me. So I like that a lot. For you, what was like one of the most significant things you learned, or maybe just something that was just really different, something that maybe you didn't expect? Well, I think the message that I wanted to convey is the age of forests, that forests live for thousands of years. When we think of Hawaii and we think of the, the koa tree or our, our mother trees, the ohia trees or the koa trees, those trees, individual trees, can live for over a thousand years or 1500 years. And wow. so it made me really consider the age of forests. And, and unfortunately, a lot of different forestry projects in the world cut their forests down every hundred years. Mm -hmm. And so they're cycling these young forests and they never get to really mature. And so that was a significant thing for me. And I, I think that we should try to keep standing for us so that we can really have them doing this carbon sequestration that they do if they can get old. Yeah. 
What's the status of that like here in Hawaii? Do you see that kind of increasing? Are you seeing more awareness about reforesting? And are we starting to get more reforesting projects growing or, or are they kind of on the decline? I think there are more projects growing. I think there's a lot more to do and there's a lot more opportunity. Mm -hmm. And one of the big things that influences me is the IPCC reports, the reports about the climate crisis and the newest report that just came out, I think two weeks ago or two or three weeks ago, really talks about how what's going to happen is there's going to be more droughts and more fires more regularly. And that really is a call to action. It means that we need to continue to plant trees and plant forests and continue to collect seeds so we can take care of future generations of forests and trees that the next generation needs to have to have a healthy planet. It has a big impact. I, I think there's a lot of opportunity in Hawaii and everywhere in the world to really push hard and keep keep working on this. Yes, definitely. And reforesting is definitely something that I want to actually come back to later in this conversation. But before we go too deep into that, I first wanted to go back to the personal challenge that you decided to take on during our first episode and just hear a little bit about how it went. So if you could, could you remind us what your motivations were and what your challenge was? Well, you asked me to, to you challenged me to, to make a challenge. And I, I thought about it. And I thought that what I would like to do is two things. I mean, the main thing is reduce my waste, how much trash that I um, generate. And I also really thought about my dependency on fossil mm. fuels. And so I tried to work on that and be very aware of it. And it's, it's hard to do. It's hard to reduce your trash. I think what it did is it really, it sort of helped me to be aware and to be conscious. Even if I didn't reduce it all the time, mm -hmm. I became very conscious of what I'm producing. And I think I did reduce it. And I have, like when I buy things and really look at packaging and the way that I get food and, and other products. And I did one thing that's kind of cool. Sure. I bought some washing soap in the form of little pieces of paper. They're little squares of paper. Have you seen that kind? I think I have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've never used so, them before. Yeah. So they come in a, in a piece of like cardboard. It's like paper box and it's enough for two years. And it's one little, one little square goes into a full load of laundry and it decomposes. So there's no plastic bottles. And I love that. It's enough for a long time. And so that was one thing that I did, I thought was a really good move. Oh, yeah, there, there are starting to be some really cool products these days. There are a lot of cool things like that. I, I've seen a lot of things going to like bar forms, you can get like toothpaste tablets these days. And I know that they're, you know, dishwasher ones. So yeah, that's, that's really cool to hear that you kind of started to find some of those little areas where you do have that plastic waste and start to kind of chip away at some of those areas. I wonder if you can give us kind of like a play-by-play -play from like a early to intermediate to late in the challenge kind of breakdown. When you were first starting to do it, what were the things that 
immediately felt like, oh God, this is going to be really hard? Or, or was it more a feeling of like excitement? Like, okay, what can I cut down first? What can I do? And then how did that change over time? Well, it's just noticing when I take things to the trash, what I'm, you know, how often I'm doing it and what I'm taking. And a few things that I focused on was when I buy vegetables and using plastic bags and trying not to do that. So that's one thing that I've done. As I said, the soap thing, that felt like a big win for me. Also, the water bottles. I mean, plastic water bottles are are a nightmare. And I, I just... I decided to try really to steer clear of them. So simple things, but made me feel better. And I actually did make some progress. (laughs) In general, did you find that they kind of felt difficult and hard at the beginning, but ended up feeling good and making you feel better about yourself afterwards then? Well, I feel better about it, but I still feel like a lot of it is hard because it's the packaging of things is what is very, very challenging is how do we, what, what is the most consumable thing that we, we buy? And that is food a lot of times. And then how do we buy that? I try to think about not buying things and all this packaging, but then I need to buy some, you know, yogurt or whatever it is. And it just comes that way. So One of the things, I was just in San Francisco for Earth Day, and one of the things I noticed was there now they have water bottles that are made out of like milk carton paper. It's all plant-based. It's Uh all plants, and they decompose. So that was was good, too. I was like, okay, why didn't we do this a long time ago? (laughs) Yeah, definitely. I feel like there are a lot of products that that are trying to go that way now, but I feel like there is definitely still a long way to go. Joshua Spodek, the guy who made the first This Sustainable Life podcast, that was his first like really, really big challenge that he just challenged himself to no packaging in any of his food at all. He had no idea how he was going to do it from the start, but he took that on as, as his first challenge for, I think it was like a month or something like that. And yeah, it, it meant he had to completely rethink the way he eats. He had to rethink the way he shops. Where does he shop? How does he shop? What does he buy? Because if you go to the supermarket these days, like you said, food is one of your main things that you buy. And when you go to the supermarket, if somebody says, okay, you're allowed to buy whatever you want, but it can't have any kind of packaging. Yeah. It really limits your options. So hard. And I think that we find that on this podcast, a lot of people kind of go through that emotional roller coaster of like the the difficulty at the beginning and the stress that you feel from from trying to do something that you haven't done and kind of seeing how it affects other areas of your life and how it may it may actually be a little bit harder than you had initially thought. But as you kind of work through it, you do kind of find that eventually it does start to kind of make you feel better about having made those changes and that it ends up being a net positive thing in your life. Did you kind of find that way also? Oh yeah, for sure. And, and we took it to another level too in my work, but I definitely felt that way. And just, I think being more aware and conscious and thinking about like, how can I be less negative impact on the planet? And mm-hmm. so I like that. It feels good. And it, it's definitely the right way to think. So that's great. I wonder, did it affect any relationships? Sometimes some of these challenges that we have, 
sometimes it ends up spreading to family or to neighbors or to other people, or it kind of affects the relationship that people have with those around them. Did you find that it had any effects like that on anybody? Did other people join in or was it just you? No, it was just me. No, I, I, no, I don't think it affected yeah, anybody else. Did you get anybody like asking about it or, or did anybody, was anybody noticing that you had made some differences? No, I don't think so. You had mentioned also that you had started to think also a little bit about like your fuel usage and things like that too. Right. Can you tell me a little bit more about what you meant by that? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've read that, you know, our dependency on fossil fuels is a huge impact on the climate crisis and global warming. And I, I know that, and I've always wanted to get an electric car. And <laughs> I'm building a house right now and it doesn't have electricity. It's, it has to be solar, <laughs> but to charge a car is a big thing. So it takes a lot of electricity. So I'm not there yet, but that's my goal for number one, because mm -hmm. they say if we can move to hybrids or electric cars, we can really change the world. We can really bring down the emissions. And yeah. then the second thing is that I manage as a forester, I manage teams in Hawaii on the ground who are doing forestry projects. We have four forestry projects right now and two nurseries. So we have six different groups on the ground and we use a lot of tools and equipment. We use, first of all, utility vehicles, Kawasaki mules and utility vehicles. We use chainsaws, blowers, hedge trimmers, all kinds of tools and equipment. And we have a person that buys the consumables and they buy gas a lot every week. And so each of these sites has a set of tools and, and we're working on, on forestry and maintaining weeds and all that. And I, I told my manager, Johannes, that I, I think it'd be really great. And he did his master's degree on climate change. So he's like a total green guy. Uh -huh. And we're like, we gotta, we gotta get off the fossil fuels. So what we did is, one by one, we changed the tools and we got a good battery set. You know, you get a battery for these tools and we changed our chainsaws. We changed all of our equipment. So now every single site we have is all, it took us about a year, but we've gotten everything to electric now. The utility vehicles are, they're gas powered, but the amount of gas that's required is so much lower it's significant and somebody in our finance team for the company said i thought i really thought something was wrong because the number went so down and and that's why so i was really i'm very very happy about that <laughs> man that's super cool yeah i don't know if i get to claim any credit at all for maybe guiding you into thinking about that at all but i'd like to think <laughs> that i do <laughs> yeah we'll give you some credit for that that's always, always helpful <laughs> to talk about it yeah. Oh, yeah. No, that's so cool. That's something that I think about a lot, too, because I now work in the construction industry. And so I do see a lot of, of you know, how much the construction industry, we just use gasoline powered tools all the time for everything, you know, and, and you think about, you know, if we were able to switch all these over to electric, how much even just talking about fuel cost savings, you know, it's like, as a company, this could be something worth considering, not even talking about climate change yet. 
Right. That's right. Fantastic. All right. Well, if you ever want to come on for another episode and to try to take on another challenge, or if you just want to come on just to come talk about more reforesting stuff, then you're welcome at any time. I just wanted to spend a little bit of time at the end to go back to terraformation just a little bit, just to hear about what's been happening. Do you guys have any kinds of new projects or anything new that's going on? Well, Terraformation is doing very well. And one of the things that came out of that COP26 um, conference that I attended was that I really realized there is a, a lot of people are talking about seed availability as a bottleneck to scaling restoration. People can't scale and grow more trees if they don't have seeds. And so Terraformation has really focused on developing seed banks. We build seed banks. We provide training. We teach people how to collect seed regionally. And we're really trying to help with that bottleneck. We believe that people in every region of the world needs to collect their own unique seeds. And so that's what we're doing. And I was just for Earth Day in San Francisco Mm -hmm. with an organization called One Tree Planted. And they had something called an Earth Fest. And they had partners from all over the world. And we all got to give talks. And I, of course, talked about seeds. And it was very well received. And I, I really made a lot of connections. And I it was just a wonderful experience. So yeah, that's a new, new thing we're really focusing on. That's great. So yeah, it's it's that's interesting that that, that would be the bottleneck is, is the seeds. When you talk about seeds, you're going to be talking about different types of seeds for different areas, right? So it's not like you're just collecting tons of one kind of seed to distribute to the whole world. It's like setting up seed banks means that you're collecting local seeds at every location, right? That's right. Everywhere. So it's really supporting local communities on the ground to collect and save their local seeds, their seeds. And and those seeds are representative of an entire ecosystem. So it's the whole palette, it's the whole community of species that would comprise a forest or, you know, a dry forest or a wetland or whatever ecosystem that is. And so we really encourage people to do that work of seed saving. And it's very important. Cool. If someone out there was listening to this and they wanted to do something about it, what what could we do to get more involved in this? Well, the best thing to do is to find out if there's a seed bank in your region. For example, on Oahu, Mm -hmm. there is a seed bank called the Lion Arboretum. And the Lion Arboretum has a very nice seed bank. And so it's good to be connected and to see, you know, first, if you have seeds of native species, on your property, you can contribute them for research or for banking. And that's, that's what we encourage people to do because we, we share the seed and we share it freely with, with partners and, and landowners. And we have a little website too. We sell a few, three or four species um, wow. yeah, native seeds. That's really cool. It's like a whole, whole little seed community. Yes. It would be really cool to be involved with something like that. Mm -hmm. I actually have a little bit of a selfish question that I was hoping that I could ask before we wrap up here, if you don't mind. For my my new house that I just moved into, I know that you did the same little exercise here with uh, Yishan Wong. 
my property is nowhere near as extensive as uh, Sean's here. But you can see that I've got a backyard. For those of you out there listening and can't see my screen, I'm sharing an image of my backyard right now, which is, it's a pretty heavy slope. It's about 45 degrees and it's just, it's pretty dry. It's got some grass there. But I've been thinking about like, man, if I wanted to start like, maybe not necessarily a forest, but I just wanted to put some trees in here, something that could kind of survive in a little bit of a drier environment like this and support something here. What, what would you recommend? What would you do if you had this land to put some vegetation in here? Well, I would definitely, I would definitely plant things because I'm a fanatic for beauty. I like, I like to create beauty with nature. So it's fun activity. Mm -hmm. The first thing I would ask myself is what's the elevation of this property and what's the rainfall? So I could get a sense of what would be appropriate because I want to plant something that is going to like it and do well there instead of trying to plant something that maybe it's too tropical and, and requires more water than I can give it, that kind right. of thing. Oh, interesting. Okay, so yeah. elevation. I hadn't thought about elevation. I was only thinking about how dry it was, but the uh, elevation is also important, huh? Yeah. Are there resources that you know of the, for specific to Hawaii for if you have a certain elevation and certain climate, certain amounts of dryness that, that you could look up what kinds of trees would uh, survive well in those areas? Yes, I think so. You know, one resource that's excellent is the Natural Resources Conservation Service, NRCS. Huh? And I think they've published like a little booklet on the right tree in the right place for Hawaii. And oh. you can look at what they recommend and you can look at, you know, your region and it'll really help. It'll really help to kind of pick something that's appropriate because, yeah, you want to grow something that's right for that environment. Definitely. Oh, yeah, I'm definitely going to be checking that out because I've got that patch of land out there that I'm like, I just I, I don't know what to do with it. I just I just got it a couple of weeks ago and I'm like, it's kind of dry and it's kind of dead. So I'm like, can I grow trees here if I wanted to grow some trees here? Is it better to do like a garden? And I've kind of been thinking about it. And I was like, I know I'll ask Jill and see what see what her advice is. What would she do if this were her property? Yeah, well, and I'm a flower fanatic. So I, I like to have a lot of beautiful things. Yeah, sure. Are there are there specific flowers too that could work in, in that kind of land? Yeah, I mean, there's Hawaiian hibiscus are beautiful. And I grow a lot of Hawaiian hibiscus on my property. And, you know, there's Ula, the red hibiscus, and then there's the white hibiscus, hibiscus waimei. Uh -huh. And then there's the, the state flower of Hawaii, which is hibiscus brackenrigii. So we have several native hibiscus that are very beautiful. So I like, I like those. And yeah, I like trees. I like for shade. I like to create like a park-like setting, uh -huh. a setting that, you know, maybe you could put a picnic table or chairs under where you can have a tree that provides shade, that kind of thing. Sure. Oh man. Okay. All right. Now I've got some, some starting ideas. I'm definitely going to have to think about those. Thank you so much. Is there anything else you wanted to cover? Anything that you wanted to talk about with either terraformation or with other events that you're doing or with the seed banks that you wanted to cover before we wrap it up? No, I feel, I feel like we got a little good overview of what's going on and it's starting to get a little 
noisy over here. So. <laughs> Not a problem. I understand. I've had a helicopter. I don't know if you've been able to hear it, but they've been doing some work on the power lines up on the ridge behind my house. And so they've been like helicoptering stuff up to it. And so I'm hoping that it's not being too loud in the in the background of the recording. Anyway, Jill, thank you so much for coming on. Like I said, if you ever want to come back on again, either to take on another challenge or to just talk more about reforesting, I'd love to have you on. Thank you very much. It's really been a pleasure. So I will look forward to that. We'll catch up again. Definitely. I'd be looking forward to meeting you sometime too. If you're ever on Oahu or if I'm ever out there, then uh, I'll definitely send you an email or you can send me an email and we can uh, grab lunch or something sometime. Yeah, or you can come and visit Future Forests, our nursery and our seed bank. I would love to do that. I would love that so much. Oh, I'll definitely be keeping that in mind if ever I'm out there. All right, Jill, thank you so much. Appreciate it so much. Talk to you next time. All right. Aloha. Hey guys, Eugene here from Verdant Growth and host of This Sustainable Life, Solve for Nature. I've been doing this podcast for a few months now, and I could use some help. I just don't have the time to edit episodes like I did during the pandemic, and I've had to hire an editor. I don't have enough to pay them for as many episodes as I'd like to do per month. If you're interested in supporting me and my podcast, try donating, one time or monthly. Even one dollar helps. I love doing this show, but I can't do it as much as I'd like without your help. If you can't donate, just hit that subscribe button or tell your friends. Me and the rest of the world could use your help. Let's work together to make this planet we call home a great place through sustainability. Thank you.